The Property Playbook would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands of where this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, acknowledging the culture, the history, and the connection to the lands of what we call home. Let's get into it. And welcome back to The Property Playbook, the podcast where we take you from A to V of all things property. My name is Jessica Ricky, and hopefully one day I can call myself a first home buyer. But until then, I'm chatting to experts all along the way to help me and you figure out how to get there. Today, I've got one of my favorite people coming back, <laughs> Kate Bransgrove from Zella Money here. She's a mortgage expert. She's a queen and she's the person helping me get my mortgage. So I thought, who better today to chat to than you? Thank you for having me. How exciting. If everyone can just greet me like that from now on, that would be really <laughs> I good. I could see you loving it. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to like add on that and add on. good. It didn't end. Uh, I needed to milk that longer. Enjoy it while it's there. <laughs> but Kate, today we're going to chat through the differences in getting mortgages on different types of properties. Because before I started my journey, I didn't realize that getting a mortgage It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. There's actually a difference between if you're building a new home or you're purchasing an established home, and I'd never really considered that. Yeah, so we have a lot of clients that kind of come into meetings, they know that they want to buy a house, but they also don't know whether they should build that house or Mm -hmm. they should buy established. So this question is very, very common. I'm really excited to pick it apart. Can you start by running me through, I guess, the primary high-level differences between getting a mortgage for a new build versus an established property. Should we start with new build? Let's start with new build. I think to cover both off though, the very, very first thing we're going to do is run your borrowing capacity. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we get asked if you can borrow more or if you can borrow less, depending which way you go. So buying established or building, it's basically the same. So when we run your borrowing capacity, and for this example, we'll say that we're looking at building a property. Now, when you build a property, something that we want to take into account for you is when that place is getting built, where are you living? So are you renting? Are you living at home, you know, board free or rent free? Are you still paying something out of your pocket? Mm -hmm. Because from a bank point of view, when we're running that borrowing calculations, they're actually basing it off the end goal. So the end goal of the fact that you're in the home and can you afford the mortgage then, they're not necessarily right now taking into account any rent that you're paying whilst the build or anything is going ahead. Okay. So if I'm paying $500 a week in rent, wow, that seems like a lot. If I'm paying $500 (laughs) a week in rent right now, the bank would then go, oh, that's $500 extra in your budget that you could be paying towards a mortgage? Correct. So they're not taking that out as an expense because they're looking at, can you afford this home once you move into it? And once you move into it, you're not going to be paying that rent. So that helps, I guess, in the sense that you're borrowing capacity and that's great, but we still want to make sure that you can afford the build whilst it's been built. Yeah. Okay. So as a broker, for example, you're going, okay, like, can you still make the repayments that you need to make as they come up on top of your rental payments that you need to make? So there needs to be more of a buffer than potentially what the bank would consider. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. And it's more just, I guess, that extra step we like to take because we don't want to just chuck someone a really large mortgage and it's like, oh, great. The bank says that you can afford this. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that during that whole build process, you're actually still, you know, able to live a life and not be stressing as much as possible and things like that. Something that I heard because I inquired with a builder very early on in my 
journey and they spoke me through something called progress payments. So I think it's unlike a normal mortgage where you just get your lump sum that you borrow and then you pay that down. Can you talk me through how that works? Yeah, perfect. So when you are building and yes, we're taking into account to make sure you can afford, you know, any rent you might be paying as well as a mortgage, the mortgage is basically split up into five main payments and they are called progress payments. Yeah. So let's say you're going to get the base stage done first for the build and that's going to cost $50,000 for argument's sake. We, with the lender, the lender will then charge you a repayment on that $50,000 and it will be interest only. So the idea behind it is interest only, you're obviously not actually paying the loan down yet. So principal and interest is where you pay it down. But the idea behind it is because you are probably, you know, renting or paying board or something elsewhere that you do need to be able to afford everything at once. And so they break it up. So they go, okay, here's interest only repayments with, you know, most banks. And here are the stages that you then have to make a payment on every time an invoice is paid to your builder until the very end one, which is then when the whole build is done and your mortgage is, you know, one big mortgage. And then that's when you start making repayments on everything. Oh, so if you're doing your own budget and if you're figuring it out, that means that you don't have to be able to pay a whole mortgage and your rent during that period of the build. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Oh, that makes it seem a little bit easier and more yes. approachable, really, doesn't it? Yes, it's good. And I think originally, to be honest, like two years ago, we probably weren't really having the conversations as much because interest rates were so low. And so it was more affordable for people to be paying, you know, living and paying rent whilst their bill's kind of going on in the background or they're paying for their land loan, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I think seeing, you know, unfortunately the cost of living and everything go up so much, it's just, that's why it's still that extra expense paying a mortgage at the same time as everything else. If you can afford that, you're comfortable. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Is there any differences in terms of the application process for a new build that you wouldn't really have to consider if you were just purchasing an established property? Yeah. So one of the biggest factors would be the fact we have to have a build contract. So usually owner builders, different kind of ball game, which we can maybe talk about another day, but stock standard building contracts, say you've got your HIA building contract. So you've gone through you know, a well-known builder, got your build contract, you've got your land contract. When we go to the bank, we need to get something called an as-if complete valuation. So you've got your build contract that might be for $400,000 to build this lovely house. And you've got your land contract, let's just say it's $300,000. So $700,000 to you is the purchase price of everything, but we still need to get a valuation done to ensure that what you're actually building is what the valuer deems it to actually be worth. So sometimes we had this happen once where a bill contract was exactly $400,000. It got valued and the valuer valued that build contract as if it was actually only worth about (gasps) $310,000. That's a big difference. Massive. And the reason being, we argued it. We went back and was like, how is this so much less? And they said they've got extra fittings and items in their house that were, you know, maybe gold plated as an example or something a little bit more fancy that the valuer said, if you were to sell that in the current market just because it's got an extra fitting that costs them a lot more money to install that they also could have probably had a similar tap or a similar fitting that was cheaper and that's actually worth the price of what the property is. Oh, that's so interesting. We spoke to Belinda Botzolas from The Valuer's House recently, and she ran us through a little bit about how valuers kind of assess those things. But it's crazy to me to think that you can go, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Builder, 
I'm handing you $700,000 because that is what it is going to cost me to build this house. And then a valuer can come in and say, oh no, but the market dictates if someone else were to buy it, it wouldn't be valued at that because you're like, I just paid that. Yes. That's what it's worth because I paid it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think even more so now in the current market, like valuations have been coming in shorter for people Mm -hmm. because they might be getting a category seven flooring, which looks lovely, but is because of all the building supplies costing so much more, a valuer then values it and doesn't believe it to be actually worth what you're paying in this current market if you were to sell it. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a valuer expert or anything like that at all, but it's definitely something you have to be mindful of is that the build and the land still need to come in at what you want to pay for them. Otherwise, if there's that shortfall, that can cause some troubles. And what happens if there is a significant shortfall like that? Yeah. So main thing is either the client needs to be able to come up with it. So in some cases, that's not just easy for somebody to whip out you know, know, reach into my pocket no, and pull out yeah, a spare $90,000. Yeah, thanks. That would be nice. Or the fact that, you know, in cases we do try and argue it or we will put the same bill contract and the same contract of sale for the land to different banks because unfortunately, and, you know, this is a perk, I guess, of using a broker. If the valuation comes in short with one bank, we'll go to another bank. They use a different valuer panel and it can sometimes get valued higher and at the price that we need. That's so interesting. Yeah. But yep. really tricky if you're on the receiving end of it and you're so stressed because you're like, I've really got to the absolute end of my budget to get this build done. And I guess that's why it's so important, as everyone says, to have that buffer because you just never know what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing is that if the valuation comes in short, then same thing, instead of it though being worth $700,000 and it's now suddenly worth only you know, six ten or whatever it might be, then that's where the loan and everything has to get adjusted for the figures. But there's still obviously, yeah, that shortfall comes into play. Wow. All right. So outside of, I guess, that valuation perspective and, you know, the property being worth what you paid for it, are there any other key differences when you're looking to secure that mortgage for a buyer who is looking to build their first home? Yes. So for first home buyers that are looking to build throughout states in Australia, It's different amounts depending on the state and where you're from, but if you're building, you may be eligible for an actual physical cash grant. So Victoria, for instance, if you build a property, you're a first home buyer, you get a physical cash grant of Mm $10,000, which some people love, like that's that extra boost they want to bring their mortgage down or be able to help them get into their first home. Same with other states that having that cash grant can really make that difference. If you buy established in most states, you won't get that physical cash. You get other benefits like stamp duty exemptions and things like that. But the only way, for instance, in Victoria, again, to get that physical $10,000 is if you buy a house that's never been lived in. So it could be built, but never lived in, which isn't super common, I Mm -hmm. guess. So yes, having that extra money, sometimes people really like to have that up their sleeve. The other big one would be stamp duty. So whether you're a first home buyer or not, I'll talk in general terms here. If you are building, you only have to pay stamp duty on the land portion. So if the land is valued $300,000, even if the total thing is valued at seven hundred, dollars including the build, you're paying stamp duty only on that three hundred dollars That's a big difference. Huge difference. So again, sometimes people find building more suitable because instead of having to fork out you know, $45,000 in stamp duty in some states, they can fork out you know, $15,000 instead. It gets them into the property quicker. It, you know, Again, they don't have to wait and that ends up suiting them. If you're a first home buyer and you are 
eligible for the stamp duty exemptions anyway. It might not make a difference buying established or building, Mm -hmm. but it can make a huge difference regardless. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Well, let's head to a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk through some of the benefits or features, I guess, of purchasing that established property instead. Don't go anywhere, guys. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I've got Kate Bransgrove from Zella Money, mortgage broker extraordinaire joining me. <laughs> She's loving good. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> and we're chatting through the differences between securing a mortgage when you're building a property versus when you're purchasing an established property. And we're learning that there's quite a few differences that I really had never considered before. Kate, before we were just chatting off the air about a particular scheme, which we have touched on before on the podcast called the First Time Guarantee and how that kind of applies in the two different scenarios. Can you run everyone listening through that? Yeah, perfect. So the First Time Guarantee scheme is for eligible first home buyers that can purchase with as little as a 5% deposit. Mm -hmm. So purchase price 600K, 5% is 30 grand plus your purchasing cost, depends on the state. You can get into your first home potentially a lot sooner. And the big perk of it is the fact you have no lender's mortgage insurance added to your loan and have access to much more competitive interest rates despite having a smaller deposit. Mm -hmm. Sounds pretty appealing. Very. I actually love this scheme. It's one of my personal favorites. Now, the difference though between building and using the scheme and buying established and using the scheme To be eligible for the scheme when you build, you have to have a signed build contract and your piece of land that is ready to title both within 90 days of applying for your scheme place. Mm. What we often see is, especially at the moment, titled land, it's not super common. No. And we have had this conversation because yeah. I was looking at buildings yes. for, you know, a while ago and I was trying to find any loophole <laughs> I could to get, to get around to this because it is really tricky if you are trying to get land, particularly in newer areas, It just, if you're going to get titled, it's so much more expensive because they know that people want it to access these schemes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hot, like people want it because it's like they can start building if it's titled. So title basically means it's ready to go. Like you can settle on it, you can own it, you know, you can build, you can do what you want with it. Whereas if it's untitled, that's not yours yet. Like, yes, you've probably paid a deposit and you're holding on to it, but until you physically settle on that property, then, you know, your name isn't on the mortgage, isn't on the title, things like that. Now, the hard thing we're seeing with clients is that, is that land isn't titling for a while. So they might be eligible for the scheme now, but if that land's not going to title for a year or it gets pushed back to a year and a half, and then they need another build contract or it might've expired, we're seeing a lot of that because of the delays in the building industry. And it's not that it's impossible. Like definitely we have so many clients that have built through it. It's just about being aware of the risks Mm -hmm. because if you've entered into this untitled contract on this block of land, it's very likely you've entered now into an an unconditional contract, but if it's not going to title for, say, a year, then we can't go and get your finance today. It would be basically irrelevant. We'd be applying for a pre-approval that lasts for three months. It's going to expire. Every time we go for it, it's added a credit inquiry. We don't want things like that to be impacting your situation either. Now, with established, if you have that contract of sale, great, let's go for the scheme place if it fits the eligibility of the scheme And there's not really that risk as such in terms of trying to time everything so perfectly. Mm -hmm. Do any of these schemes, do they prioritise giving places to people based on whether their property is being built or whether it's already established? No, there's just 35,000 places through the first-time guarantee scheme, first in, best dressed. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like if you are purchasing an established property that there is 
in that sense, a little bit less risk involved. Is that the case for any other aspects of the mortgage as well? Yeah, I guess the main one we touched on was the valuation side. Now, established home valuations still need to also stack up with what you've paid. Mm -hmm. So say I'm going to go to auction and I have my pre-approval to buy for $700,000 and I go and I this place was up online for five fifty. Just because I've placed an offer on that for seven hundred thousand, even though it was established, doesn't mean it's then going to get valued at seven hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So you could still face the shortfall issues, but at the end of the day, it definitely isn't as common. I think I've seen once in the last seven years an established contract and valuation coming in short, whereas build contracts are more common. So not as much risk. Definitely, I guess there's still risk, but it's a little bit more straightforward, I guess, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Is the loan process any different if you are purchasing that established property? Is it any easier because that risk is lower or is it kind of the same across the board? Yeah, I reckon the process for the application is very similar. Just maybe you need a couple of extra documents with like a build contract and a land contract, whereas established, you've got just the one contract, things like that. But it's very much for a muchness. So, okay. Good to know. A little bit left field, but do you as a broker have a preference if someone comes to you to get a loan, whether they've got a property that's already established or they want to get a property that's being built? Not at all. Like there's definitely risks, which we go over for both. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to build a home, we have done so many build loans because that's that person's goal. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. You know, our job is to help support somebody as much as possible to achieve that goal. Same if it's established. If that's an established home, whether it's a newer home, an older home, whatever it is, if that's that's your goal, great. Let's do what we can, figure out how we can make it work for you. How much do you need? How much borrowing? What risks? And basically try and make your dream come true. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Hopefully one day Kate will be making my dream come true. I will. If in the interim you do want to chat to one of the lovely ladies at Zella Money, you can head to the link in the show notes to find them. They're also on Instagram and Facebook. We love the team and they've helped so many Property Playbook and Shoes on the Money community members get into their first homes and I cannot wait to be one of them. Yes. I'm so excited. Stay tuned. Jess is going to be purchasing her first home. We're going to have a little property playbook party. You've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Out of your mouth and into the universe. But I think that's about all we've got time for today. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll have Kate's socials if you want to keep up with her, all linked in the show notes as well. But before we go, if you've enjoyed this episode, guys, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review. Let me know if you're enjoying the season. Let us know what you'd like to hear us tackle next because we've been having a lot of fun. I feel like I've learned a lot. I hope you have as well. If you want to talk more property, you can come and join us in the Property Playbook Facebook group or on Instagram as well. We're Property Playbook AUS and we've got people sharing tips and tricks and ideas every single day. We're having so much fun. So definitely come join the community. We would love to have you. And until next time, that's all we've got time for. Bye. See you later.